You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The opinions expressed on this webmasterradio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of webmasterradio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Thank you, and welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Um, we're thrilled to be starting with our debut show, and Brad Brasco, thank you for the kind introduction. Um, hopefully your no-brainer statement isn't an editorial comment about the, the next hour. But um, we're, we're thrilled to be here. What we're going to be about is this is going to be a show where we will go over the latest developments in cyber law and what latest trends in the Internet business. And our our listeners, our target, or our just everyday um, listeners, everyone who's out there, this is not going to be an academic discussion. It's meant to be informative and fun. And if we have to choose one, I prefer fun. So um, hopefully you'll, you'll be staying with us for the hour and future hours. And um, we have a good show today. We're going to be starting off with Christopher Olson. He is um, the um, deputy director of the FTC's um, privacy division. And um, we're really glad to have him. And so um, let's start off with Chris. Chris, welcome uh, to the yeah, show. Ben, Bennett, thanks, uh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to um, participate in the debut program. Um, you know, I How just want to. How many programs uh, have you participated in, Chris? What's that, Bennett? How many debut programs have you participated uh, in? This is this is my first. So this is wow. the debut debut program participation. <laughs> So, Chris, um, before we get into the, the meat of what we've been doing lately at the FTC, I thought we'd start off by just briefly explaining, um, you know, the, the role of the FTC, um, you know, in the FTC Act. Um, do you want to just, just give us a minute or two on that? Sure. Um, you know, we uh, we have jurisdiction uh, over um, at least in the privacy space 
commercial privacy issues. So um, we generally look at uh, activities uh, on the Internet, uh, but also elsewhere, you know, retail stores, stuff like that. We're, our jurisdiction is is uh, limited in certain respects. There are other agencies that handle telephone companies, for example, and insurance companies and medical providers, and we sort of handle um, you know, every, everyone else. And, and we do that mainly through our what we call our Section 5 authority, which uh, gives us the ability to take action when practices are deceptive. Uh, you know, if somebody makes a misleading statement in an advertisement, for example, uh, we might pursue that company. Or if there's an unfair practice. Um, so there may not be a company making any disclosure, but the practice harms consumers and they're not able to avoid that injury. So that's a 60,000-foot that's a level uh, description of uh, who we are and what we do. <laughs> so uh, unfair or deceptive. So, for example, you know, LeBron James leaving Cleveland, you know, leaving them in the lurch. Would that be unfair? Is the FTC investigating that? Um, you know, that's not our typical case, uh, Bennett. We, uh, you know, we focus more on uh, commercial practices. Um, and just to give you an example, uh, coming out of our area, you know, we've we've done a lot of data security matters involving companies like BJ's Wholesale and TJ Maxx for. Um, uh, allegedly not clearly representing the state of their security efforts for their customer data. Now, um, I, getting back to being, being a little bit serious for a change, uh, I've been on panels with uh, representatives of the FTC on privacy issues, and they've often stated that if the, the mere presence of a data breach will not necessarily result in FTC um, action or liability, but the absence of a data breach doesn't mean that you may not be liable. And is that still kind of the position of the FTC, and do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, that's, uh, that's right. Um, and it all is, uh, is case-specific, uh, as you might imagine. But if there is a company that uh, makes a representation to their consumers that they undertake certain security measures, um, and as a result of an investigation, it turns out they didn't actually uh, undertake those security measures, and there was a, a vulnerability uh, in their security system that could easily have been exploited, then we may take action against that company for its deceptive claims to its consumers, even if that vulnerability was not actively exploited. So, and we've done that before. You know, I, I will say that the majority of our cases involve situations where breaches did occur, uh, but that's not a legal hook for us, not a requirement. Now, Chris, you, you just spent the, the better part of a year and a half having um, roundtables on, on privacy issues, and um, which I don't um, – none of the ones I went to had roundtables. But um, – what 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 was involved in, in gearing up for that process, and um, and tell me a little bit about the the conclusions you guys have made from that. 
Well, um, I'll start with sort of what prompted it. You know, we, we've been involved in the privacy space for a long time, actually going back to, to 1970 with the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And uh, over the past, you know, couple of years, we were looking at, at privacy issues and looking at the growth of technology and the development of new services and, and thought that the time was ripe to revisit how we looked at privacy. We had a couple approaches over the years. One was focusing on uh, what we call notice and choice, so giving consumers notice about privacy practices and and choices uh, about those practices. And that led to lengthy privacy policies that consumers often don't read, and uh, if they do, they don't understand them. So we thought it was time to take a, a look at um, new business models and new potential privacy approaches. So we had roundtables and focused on a variety of different uh, services, including social media, cloud computing, the mobile environment, um, analyzed uh, many different issues, got uh, a multitude of comments, and put together a report that we released in December. Uh, and the report is uh, highlights three main recommendations that we're now considering as we move to a final report. Um, and just uh, breaking those down, privacy by design, simplified choice, and greater transparency. And I can go into each of those if, if that would make sense, Bennett. Sure. We're just going to take a, a short break, um, but when we come back, we'll have Chris Olson, and he's going to talk about the conclusions of the FTC staff report from its year-long um, roundtables on privacy. So don't go away. We'll be right back. back to Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Two, one, boost to ignition. Ascend into new heights of ranking and revenue with a search engine-friendly online shopping cart that's ready for liftoff. Introducing Ascender Cart. Ascender Cart optimizes your shopping cart with easy-to-use SEO tools that will help build keywords, titles, and tags for top search engine rankings. Get all of the advantages of having a shopping cart on your site and monitor your progress with regular reports in just a click. Prepare to launch your shopping cart to the top of the search engines with Ascender Cart. Learn more about what Ascender Cart can do for you at AscenderCart.com. A-S-C-E-N-D-E-R-C-A-R-T dot com. Our clients have earned over $1 billion. Now it's your turn. With over 20,000 products to promote across a huge variety of niches, ClickBank provides countless ways for any affiliate to make money. You can promote any product immediately. No contracts required. Looking for recurring commissions? Upsell products? ClickBank's got them. And best of all, you can make up to 75% commissions. Ready to become the next ClickBank success story? Sign up now for free at ClickBank.com. If you're looking for a new multifaceted SEO and social media tool set, look for the Raven. Raven has the important tools that every internet marketer needs. Raven offers customized metrics for managing link building campaigns, social media campaigns, with campaign reporting and research tools that you can easily manage. Build up campaign performance for your clients and give your team the tools that will make them soar. 
If you want to increase your internet marketing revenue, look for The Raven. Go to raventools.com. That's raventools.com. Rock the world with LinkedIn. Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back with the Cyber Law and Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly, and I'm here with our guest, Chris Olson, um, the Deputy Director of the um, Federal Trade Commission's um, Privacy Division. And Chris was just talking about the findings uh, from the year-long roundtables that the Federal Trade Commission had on privacy, um, both in Washington, D.C., and up in Berkeley. So, um, Chris, why don't you tell us what, what were your three main conclusions? So the three main conclusions we reached, and I should note at this point that um, this was a preliminary staff report and that these are preliminary recommendations. We are looking to get lots of comment uh, from the public. Uh, so you will get them. <laughs> yeah, so that we can finalize uh, these, uh, finalize and, and perhaps uh, alter some of the recommendations. But the first one concerned uh, what we call privacy by design, uh, and that's um, companies ensuring that they incorporate uh, substantive privacy protections into their practices. So some things like sound data security. Um, collecting uh, only the information you need to provide the service, keeping information only only as long as you need it, really thinking about privacy um, at every stage of the research and development of products and services. Um, The second prong or second major recommendation concerns simplified choice, Um, and, and that has two components. One, taking some things off the table for uh, consumer choice. There are a number of commonly accepted practices that we think consumers ordinarily accept, uh, and there's no need to offer a choice about those practices, like product fulfillment. You go to a store, you order a pair of jeans, you expect that the jean company is going to share your address with the fulfillment or shipping company. Uh, You know, fraud detection is something that uh, I think is commonly accepted. Um, So taking those off the table for choice, but then giving a more um, effective choice mechanism and notice for unexpected or unanticipated uh, uses. So if a company is going to share your information with a third party that you don't have a relationship with or you don't think is part of that transaction, you should get notice at, at the time and in context in which you can really exercise a choice. Um, the third component is greater transparency, um, and that um, contemplates having simpler, more standardized uh, privacy statements or policies so that consumers can compare practices across companies. Uh, We contemplate giving consumers some access rights to information maintained by uh, companies that hold their data, including information brokers, those companies that consumers don't interact with. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, business and consumer education are important components of transparency as well. So those now, are the main uh, recommendations at this point. Now, when you talk about having, um, you know, some sort of um, consistency and in, in privacy policies and, and how they're described in a way that's more accessible to consumers, you do do you see the FTC kind of prescribing or recommending some some sort of template as they have done in the Graham Leach Bliley context, or you know, some kind of like what people call the Schumer box, um, you know, on your credit card statement that tells you, um, you know, what the interest rates are and and grace period, et cetera. Yeah, you know, it's hard to predict where we're going to end up at the end of the process, but I think those are models that um, we expect to hear more about in the comment period. There's also been a fair amount of research um, by academics uh, in this regard. Uh, folks at Carnegie Mellon have been active in talking about how to improve disclosures and standardize disclosures. So we're hoping that we get some informed uh, comment during the comment period that would enable us to, to sketch out or, or provide more detail on what the standardized notices uh, now, might I, I've noticed that you know, one, you know, the FTC working with the bank regulators on Gramm-Leach-Bliley you know, had set forth that kind of template for the Gramm-Leach-Bliley disclosures, and that since then there had been some adoption of it the concept, at least, in non-banking um, situations. When, um, for example, uh, you know, I've done that with a number of clients, and you see what is kind of often referred to as a two-tier privacy policy. You have a very brief one that gives the high-level overview, and the consumer wants more detail, then you get the more substantive one. And um, so it at least seems that the FTC is, has created um, or at least stimulated you know, an adoption of, of something along those lines. Do you see that progressing? I absolutely see that progressing. I think the biggest example may be in what's called the behavioral advertising space. You know, there are a lot of companies out there collecting information about where you go on the web to deliver targeted advertisements to you. And the associations involved in that space have been active in trying to create uh, short um, disclosures, even symbols that they use in their ads that um, allow the consumer to click on that information and actually get access to more robust information at the second level. So, um, you know, we think that that, uh, that sort of uh, two-tiered or layered uh, notice, there's room for more of that, um, especially in the online environment. Now, Chris, one perspective, and, and this is, largely an oversimplification, but you know, that's what radio is for. Um, and, that, and, and looking at um, going back to 2000, um, the, the FTC was um, recommended to Congress that um, they, they step forward and regulate um, what was then called online profiling, what we now call behavioral targeting. And it really seemed to be going li literally towards um, that approach. And then um, the Supreme Court decided, um, you know, Bush was Bush was the winner, and and so now you have a new commissioner come into the FTC, and all of a sudden that gets dropped, and so for um, six years or eight years, of uh, you know that that is you know put on the put on the table, and then all of a sudden you know the Democrats regain control, and um, we have a new you know Democratic controlled FTC, and it seemed at first that 
it was almost as if the FTC was just picking up where it left off um, again, literally from where, where they were in um, mid-2000. But then um, all of a sudden, um, they discovered, wait a minute, the world has changed dramatically. We have these things called social networking and there's all these things that we – the world has changed so much that the, the FTC was just you know, trying to – found that they really had a lot to get their arms around, and I'm assuming that's what probably what led to the, the roundtables. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's, uh, that's an accurate statement. I mean, we, uh, as we looked at this over the past year, year and a half, we looked at this from the perspective of, you know, what developments had taken place um, in, uh, in the online space and elsewhere in terms of new business models, new capabilities for information collection and for information retention. You know, the cost of data storage has come down quite a bit. Um, and we looked at how our approach to privacy over the past 10 years had kept pace with these technological developments. And I think we had concerns about whether it had adequately kept pace. And so that's why we, we decided to focus on privacy considerations and issues uh, in you know, a variety of these different business models. Now, and um, before we jump to a break, very quickly, it, this seems also to be a, a challenge in that um, one thing I noticed through the roundtables was a repeated admission that consumers don't read disclosures, and nothing was highlighted as more than um, the April Fool's prank of GameStation, in which they um, gave consumers the option of opting out and receiving five pounds or um, granting GameStation um, the non-transferable option to claim for now and forevermore your immortal soul. And um, so, I mean, that, and the fact that they, it was something in the order of 80, 80% of the people did not opt out and granted GameStation the rights of their soul. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite examples. And, and I, 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 always, I always joke about, you know, I wonder whether they, they're listing that as an asset on their balance sheet. But um, we're going to have to take uh, another break, and then when we come back, we'll have Chris Olson from the Federal Trade Commission, and we'll try to address any questions you might have. Back to you, Brasco. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. SEO is like a roulette wheel, hoping that you put in the right meta tags and keywords on your page so that your site lands on the top spot. Don't just take the gamble. Go with the sure thing. The premier business-to-business on-air and on-demand podcast network, webmasterradio.fm. We can place the right keywords and messages from a 30-second spot to a 30-minute monthly special. Plus, we give you the banner ads, links, and placement to bring you more traffic from not just search marketing pros listening to our SEO channel, but from all of our listeners and podcasters searching for you. Contact sales at webmasterradio.fm for a consultation today. 
MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOTool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOTool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try My SEO Tool risk-free today. Go to MySEOTool.com. MySEOTool.com. Advance your affiliate marketing efforts every week on Affiliate Buzz. Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Affiliate Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back with the Cyber Law and Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly. We have our guest, Chris Olson, from the FTC. Um, and before we return to Chris, um, this just over the wire from Politico. Um, Gabby Giffords will be released from a Tucson hospital Friday, um, less than two weeks after her um, shooting. So um, that's good news for all of us to see over the wires, and we wish Gabby well. Um, Chris, um, so in this in the short time we have left, this year it seems that the FTC is going to be focusing on addressing the comments to the report, um, but also you anticipate there's going to be a fair amount of activity on this issue on Capitol Hill. Do you not? Yeah, I, I expect it to uh, be uh, an active issue uh, in Congress. In the last Congress, it was clearly active, and uh, I think we've already heard um, from a number of folks on the Hill that this really is a bipartisan issue. Um, so the changeover in the House, um, I don't think, is going to um, you know radically diminish the activity um, on the privacy issues uh, in Congress. In fact, some, and sometimes on some some of the issues, you know, the Republicans have been some of the Republican members of the, for example, in the House Energy and Commerce Committee, have been you know the most vocal on, on you know some practices. Um, for example, Joe Barton, um, he lets his views known when he sees something he doesn't like. Now, That's there's right, been yeah. some reports also about um, the Department of Commerce's role on the privacy debate, and you know, they have another report. And you know, could you kind of, in the brief time we have left, just give us kind of a a summary of you know, the the difference between the commerce role and the FTC, and to the extent that their views are different. Well, you know, uh, we think it's uh, we think it's a good thing that commerce uh, is involved here. Uh, this is an area we've been involved in, as I mentioned before, for uh, decades. Um, and it's great that Congress that commerce is bringing some uh, some of their focus to these issues as well. Um, we think sort of the more the merrier. Because these are difficult, uh, thorny issues. We we all want to get the balance right between protecting consumer privacy but also not unduly interfering with the innovation that's taking place uh, in the marketplace today. So, um, you know, commerce is part of the administration, so they have a, they have a different uh, role. We've got a mix of um, policy making and enforcement uh, at the FTC, and 
we don't see that changing going forward. Um, we've worked with commerce for years on a variety of issues and expect that we'll continue that uh, productive working relationship on privacy issues too. Chris, um, one quick last question. I noticed that in the, the dot-com disclosure guidelines, which every business person online should look at, it's a guide for how to do disclaimers and disclosures um, in online commerce. Um, the examples that the FTC provides um, refer to the, the FTC diamond mines. And uh, I guess the one question I have is, um, do you have profit sharing there? <laughs> oh, I only wish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just seems like a well-kept secret. I'm surprised the Post hasn't blown this story up, but um, no. Yeah, there's, uh, as I understand it, there's a, there is a safe in the library where FERS are maintained as well in connection with our uh, FER testing procedures. Is that for real? Who knows? There's a lot of rumors uh, about the FTC. Maybe that's just uh, fiction. That's a urban legend. Well, that's great. Well, Chris, it has been a great pleasure having you as the premier um, guest of the Cyber Law and Business Report. And it was just too short a time to cover all the stuff we had. But um, hopefully we can have you back sometime. And um, thanks again for um, being with us. Well, it was my pleasure and uh, look forward to talking with you again. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. So our next guest is Michael Roberts, and he's um, the founder of Rexfield. That's R-E-X-X-F-I-E-L-D. That's two X's. And um, he is um, a thought leader in the area of online reputation management and online defamation. And, um, Michael, do we have you on? Still waiting for Michael to call him. Okay. We got a little bit of a low. Um, waiting for Michael. He's had some technical issues. I know where he's located in um, far out Laguna Beach, California. <laughs> Michael will be with us in a second. We do have Michael on the air. Michael, are you with us? Yes, I am. Sorry about that. It must be the very complex firewall at Beth Western that doesn't want us to uh, pull out <laughs> on Skype. Yeah, I understand the Chinese government has studied Beth Western as a as their example. Um, Michael, it's great to have you, and um, uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay, Michael, why don't you just um, start off by just telling me a little bit about Rexfield and what you do, and um, and we'll take it from there. Sure thing. It's, uh, Rexfield essentially is uh, there to counteract the libel subsidy that was enacted by Congress through 230C, and um, uh, people that are libeled or defamed online have very uh, little recourse or relief available to them if they can't afford for uh, excellent internet attorneys such as yourself. So we uh, help Thank you attorneys <laughs> and, uh, and victims of defamation to chart the, uh, the, the best way to approach the problem to mitigate the uh, future problems and to remedy the existing problems. And, and how does Rexfield go about doing that? Well, probably 80% of my day is uh, devoted to litigation support uh, where I come alongside the attorneys. I should make it clear I'm not an attorney, but I do assist attorneys in drafting courses of action, uh, subpoenas, and helping to retrace the footsteps of the anonymous antagonists who, uh, whether it be just uh, simple high school bullying uh, through to com uh, 
complex conspiracies of naked short sellers trying to bring down companies by smearing their executives and board members and so forth. Now, are you seeing there's a great need for these services, or is this just an, you know, starting to emerge as a market? Uh, that, that's an interesting question. It's Yes, it's emerging, emerging as a market, but that there is a huge demand for it, but a lot of people don't realize that there is actually uh, ways to approach these problems differently to 20th century uh, litigation techniques, I guess. And so it's an issue of education as opposed to uh, creating a market. The market's there, people, but the, the customers just don't know that we're there to help them. Now, so when, when, you, when you talk to you know, people socially and you say, uh, you know, I'm Michael Roberts and um, you know, I, I work with Rexfield and this is what I do, um, you know, after they ask you if, they, if you know me, um, you know, do they, what do they say about you know, what they know about um, this field and are you, do you usually get barraged with you know, stories of abuse that other people have encountered? Uh, well, when, <laughs> when people ask me socially what you do, I just say, oh, just things with computers and that usually <laughs> keeps the conversation moving in the direction of weather, sports and, and more mundane things. But... Uh, yeah, there, there seems to be, uh, if I explain uh, what what I do, it, it's either a 30-second uh, uh, dismissal, like I just described, or a one-hour 30,000-foot uh, overview, because it is uh, far-reaching. It affects all, um, all levels of the community, from, like I said, from school kids right through to, to CEOs. I've, I've only had uh, two billionaire CEOs in tears on the phone with me in the last two years that just don't know what to do with all the resources how to approach this problem. And, 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 and uh, why is that? Well, what, what, is, why, what, is, what is it that is bringing CEOs to tears um, besides the market? Well, in the past, if somebody wanted to, to commit word crimes against an individual or a business uh, in order to get it into the public... Uh, in, into the public's viewing, it would have to get through some level of editorial oversight, whether that be uh, invitation to a radio show or TV or, uh, or letters to the editor and so forth in newspapers. And even then, the, the diatribe, if, if in fact it was malicious and false, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm all for whistleblowing and I'm all for uh, uh, letting communities know when predators move into their neighborhood and things like that. I'm, I'm talking here purely about malicious defamatory speech, injurious speech that the victims um, don't deserve. So, uh, now, but, let me stop you oh, there for a second. Yeah. Um, and just in terms of the legal framework that that takes place in, um, if I make a comment on uh, a website and say that you... Know, you are, are related to Frankenstein and, and um, you know your parents are Martians. Um, you, that website has no liability under um, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which was designed to um, create forms for debate and discussion, and thereby, um, in doing so, they wanted to immunize those that provide um, those forms for discussion. And so, your only recourse is then the, the actual speaker, and, and good luck finding those speakers because all you may have is an email address or a user ID. Um, you know, and so that that's a major hurdle for you, I imagine. 
It is, but in you should know be- better, Bennett, because the example you gave was rhetorical hyperbole, which is protected speech. But if you were to say that I was a tax cheat or a thief, <laughs> then that's another story. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the Marshall or Frankenstein. It's okay to call me a jerk, of course, uh, being hyperbole. Now, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say that, but even when we, even if there is an email address, uh, or it, it can be spoofed at IP addresses. So what happens is it's, uh, when, we, when we approach one of these cases, for example, if uh, a victim of word crimes, internet defamation came to you and you filed to, on their behalf and engaged us to help, uh, the first thing, of course, we do is, from a legal perspective, traditionally would be to subpoena the, the forum, if it was, for example, uh, blogspot.com. And generally, well, first of all, Google will probably resist and make you go to California, if that's not when the case was filed in order to get the discovery from Santa Clara. And even then, you're probably going to end up, and this is probably 80, 90% of the cases, with a disposable email address that was set up expressly for the purpose of the smear campaign. And, you know, a McDonald's uh, uh, Wi-Fi hotspot, something like that. And often with a Gmail or an AOL account that you can't really trace to a specific IP address. Not at that at that part uh, that part of the discovery process. Now let me let me ask you. We got one quick question, and then we're going to have to go to a break. But um, yeah, we just spent the the first half hour of the show talking about privacy, and um, and the FTC just had a, a year long series of conferences and and dealing with privacy that you know had. The rooms were packed with, you know, a hundred people or more, and there's all these interest groups um, dealing with the issue of privacy. But um, it seems that you know, cyber harassment is is somewhat of a, a the redheaded stepchild, and that doesn't seem to get quite the amount of attention. And I, I don't, I don't recall seeing anyone ever commit suicide over having a cookie on their desktop. I, I really don't understand, and that's a that's a whole other discussion. But uh, yeah, there there is a very real human cost uh, to this problem, and it doesn't seem to be addressed at any significant level. And uh, what do you, what do you attribute the disparity to? I think the adage that uh, sticks and stones will break your bones, and that that is the case. But libel hurts too, and even if it was on the front page of the New York Times. Uh, defamation that's fleeting. It lasts one day. The memory will fade in time. Google has a very, very long memory, and, uh, and we have found in our empirical studies that uh, negative and defamatory speech seems to be uh, artificially elevated to page one of Google when associated with a proper noun, such as a name or a business name. Okay, well, we're going to take a break, our last break, and when we come back, we'll have um, more from Michael Roberts on online harassment and reputation management. Um, back to you, Brasco. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Looking for an affiliate network that can package every solution an advertiser or publisher needs in one account? Your one-stop source for full-service solutions is AdMedia.com. AdMedia delivers an incredible lineup of specialized XML feeds for local, social, and search, plus the advertising arsenal of PPC, SEM, contextual, display, and more. AdMedia gives your campaign real visibility, from emailers to domain redirects. 
AdMedia tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a real advantage. AdMedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything AdMedia can do for you today. Sign up at AdMedia.com. AdMedia, strong ROI made simple. From domains to digital marketing, social media to blogging, you can reach this broad audience by using what you're listening to right now. Reach the thousands of internet marketers that download and listen live to the premier on-air and on-demand podcast network, webmasterradio.fm, with the Internet Marketing Channel, featuring shows like The Joel Com Show, The WordPress Community Podcast, and more. Our ad campaigns are fully integrated with multiple avenues of exposure, from slick, effective 30-second commercials to detailed, informative 30-minute town hall meetings. Expose your products and services to listeners and podcasters of not just shows like Market Edge and Domain Masters, but anyone looking for ways to market their business with your product. Contact sales at webmasterradio.fm to find out more. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brad Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. The Jerry Abram Show, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Entertainment Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And this is Bennett Kelly. We're back with the Cyber Law and Business Report and Michael Roberts with Rexfield. And uh, Michael, um, we were just talking a little bit about you know some of the, the problems that you, you address in um why don't you tell us a little bit about what Rexfield does to um, turn things around? Okay. Uh, I, I would love to lo- lobby myself out of a job. As I uh, mentioned earlier, uh, Section 230C of the Communications Decency Act uh, is, in, in my view, uh, it subsidizes Internet libel. And that, uh, you touched on this earlier that if you were to say something nasty about me on uh, Blogspot or YouTube or wherever it might be, the actual website is immune because of 230C. It's shielded from liability, unlike a newspaper, which would be responsible for your words if they republished it. Now, that shielding comes under the uh, heading Good Samaritan Shielding, the third party republishes the words to that effect. And the the emphasis is actually on the term Good Samaritan. I think it's in bold, actually, or, or inverted commas or something. And uh, so that, to me, uh, gives emphasis to the intent of this law. And then you have two options under this heading. One is the Internet service provider can take down the offensive material and effectively be immune from uh, repercussions from the speaker for infringing with free, free speech. Or B, they can turn a blind eye and leave the offending and injurious material posted. And in my experience a lot of large ISPs, particularly some of the Silicon Valley giants, they take option B, 
which is clearly not the intent of the shielding. Well, I mean, isn't the counter-argument, Michael, that if the companies have to invest time in having to police all these chat rooms, um, there'll be less of them made available because it just it won't be cost-effective. You know, and then you'll have this a multitude of lawsuits over every chat posting ever made. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not suggesting policing the chat rooms. I think the uh, freedom that it's given, the, the, the benefits by far outweigh the the cost. Um, from a, uh, you can't make a omelet without making uh, breaking a few eggs. Perspective. Right. At the same time, we can't ignore the pain. We can't ignore the injury. If I was to uh, walk up to you and smash your kneecap with a hockey stick, that's an injury. You could sue. And I would be liable, of course, for criminal as well as civil. But with internet defamation, it's still an injury. Defamation is an injury in, in, in law. Then why, where should there not be relief available? Uh, why, why should the large ISPs be giving you the hockey stick and pointing to where I am and then rubbing salt in the wound up, you know, at an item forever afterwards? Well, and it's interesting because, you know, my, if, to use your analogy, if you hit me with a hockey stick, um, you know, my knee will recover in a matter of, you know, days, weeks, or whatever. But if you, um, you know, do the, uh, something analogous in terms of hitting my reputation, which, you know, in terms of my livelihood is more important, um, if that may take some time. And um, and so it is, you know, the, the incongruity Sorry. is... Is definitely there, but you, you, there are steps you can take to to you know, kind of minimize the exposure of those type of things, can't you? Oh, there are, and that's where your listeners, if the SEO uh, practitioners out there, can help the victims by by diluting and burying the negative material. Unfortunately, that also works for people that uh, should rightly be exposed for their wrongdoing. But um, the same techniques, of course, are appropriate for the people with clean hands that have been accused, falsely accused. Now, go ahead. Yeah, but I was just going to say that the relief is there through the courts, and that is in the form of damages. Unfortunately, in America, I, I say unfortunately because it's close to my to my heart, and I've seen the damage firsthand. But uh, the only relief generally available for victims of defamation is damages. So it, it's often even difficult to get temporary restraining orders for the takedown, even though we have succeeded. Now, the, there are, um, surprisingly, there are a number of states um, that have criminal defamation laws, and 18, about half of them um, have been found to be unconstitutional or, or were eventually repealed or are never enforced, but there have been a number of, um, not a number, I should say, a handful of, of criminal defamation cases brought for online speech. Um, are, are, you, are you aware of those, or do you have any thoughts about those? Yes. Yeah. Yes, Colorado in particular, uh, but it, it was particularly pernicious. It went a lot further than just uh, nasty grams, if you will. But uh, the, in other countries, for example, I live in Europe for about half the year, and over there, uh, in most countries, I think all EU countries, defamation is actually um, is criminal. So we don't need to hire at our expense an attorney to take care of it. You would just go to the police and file a report as you would somebody um, attacking you with a beer bottle. And the so police, the state takes care of it for you. If I can just um, it seems that 
the theory in, in the U.S. and in common law countries is that if something is a um, societal harm, you know, that's something we might address through you know, criminal regulation or some kind of um, sanction. But if something is a um, you know, an individual harm, that's something we leave for civil remedies, for damages in between people. Um, but is there a point where the defamation that you're talking about becomes a societal harm? Well, I don't think that. Uh, I mean, America is built on the uh, on being a, a free and open market, and unfortunately, you know, we find that since since Eden, uh, it's easier to benefit or profit by destroying something than creating something, and so the the small, relatively small percentage of people that have a propensity for those types of uh, activities. It's he who yells loudest wins on the internet, and so from a commercial perspective, you can't have a level playing field if uh, the way a business increases its market share is by destroying the competition through false and defamatory um, reviews and things like that. That's at one level, and of course, it's some attorneys' reason arguing that uh, it's a human rights issue. Right. Um, there's a professor at University of Maryland who. Who actually sees it as a, a gender discrimination issue? The fact that so little, you know, since many of the victims are women, and so little attention is given to it, that in, in some ways it's, it's denying women um, civil rights. Now, um, I'm sorry, do you say something? No, I was going to say there is, uh, interestingly enough, uh, women tend to be uh, more often disparaged online in our experiences. And in that, in you know, there's been some studies that Justice Department actually. I did a study of um, stalking both online and offline, and what is surprising is that the um, the duration of this um, stalking that can occur um, sometimes as long as you know two or three years, which is just unfathomable if you're the victim of it. Um, but you know there have been some high-profile cases recently involving online harassment and stalking, and uh, one of them you know had the had the, the perfect um, panache of Having a, a model and a blog with a very catchy name, um, Skanks and NYC, um, and it involved the issue of whether the um, the court um, would ha- could force the um, could force the disclosure of the the name of the blogger, and um, and then a couple of cases similar to that, but it seems that Skanks has been the one that got the most attention. Have you followed that case at all? Well, I helped with that case, and uh, after after the fact, though, let's uh, cool a Cohen uh, with some cleaning up, some residual uh, thing problems, and I also was on standby for her attorney when when we were waiting for the discovery from from Google. Uh, coinc- uh, interestingly, with that case, the only reason uh, the uh, Rosemary Port, the individual involved, was identified is because she used her own email address in registering the blog. And uh, that was not so much harassment, that was just jealousy and, and, and just whatever the motivations were. On another level, though, another case that's been in the media a lot lately with Carla Franklin, that I've been assisting her since early 2009, long before it made the media, and uh, that was a, a continual uh, pattern of harassment for several years uh, with the individual as opposed to defamation. So there, it, there is the same techniques are used to to remedy the problems, whether it be harassment or defamation. 
it, it seems that you know the, one of the lessons from you know, 2010 in terms of court decisions was um, if you're going to mess with someone online, it better not be a model. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that um, the not only well, like I said, there's uh, there's quite a few different uh, uh, interesting demographics that uh, would be too much to go into now. All right. Well, I'm afraid that we're, we're, we're running out of time. Um, Michael, it has been a pleasure having you, and I, I want to thank you for, for coming on, and hopefully you'll consider coming back on again um, to talk about this important issue. And again, that's um, Michael um, Rexfield. Michael, how can people contact you? Uh, Rexfield.com with two X's, R-E-X-X-F-I-E-L-D.com. That's way. Michael double X <laughs> Roberts. Thank you very much. And um, this has been the Cyber Law and Business Report. Um, I hope thank you for joining us for our debut show. And I want to thank um, Chris Olson and Michael uh, Roberts, as well as uh, our producer, um, Brasco, for making the show possible. Um, join us next week when we will have Rebecca Madigan, and we'll be talking about the Amazon tax. Um, and that's not a tax on tall women. We're talking about the, um, the sales tax issue involving Amazon. So um, thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you later. Um, goodbye, everyone. Um, we'll be available. Um, the podcast will be available on our website and on iTunes um, within um, later this week. So, again, this is Bennett Kelly. It's been a pleasure having you for this debut show, and I hope you'll join us next Wednesday um, for Cyber Law and Business Report. Cheers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.